Hello, greetings, and welcome to the October 26th, 2015 edition of the Odelay Show with C.G. Brazewell. Um, another editorial edition today. Uh, common occurrence. Um, there are, I should clear the deck historically. Um, frequently I will say such and so from the following organization will appear on the show in the coming weeks. Sometimes they do, sometimes they do not. So, uh, I've got stuff from, from all the way from last, last fall, stuff that's a year old now that, that I was kind of setting on, um, you know, and I'm going to have to just run the press release as it were, but in an audio fashion today, still hoping to get, uh, some input from some of the other groups that aren't a year old yet. Um, Today's is Clear the Bench Arizona. It's an organization, a watchdog organization, an activist organization, if you will, with a goal of, <coughs> uh, you know, of integrity in the Arizona judicial system. Um, and that's the you know that's important too. The 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 courts are where the rubber meets the road in terms of. Relevance and, and applied um, rule of law. Um, other stuff that I, you know, still have hold out hope for. Uh, interview with a gentleman who had some uh, information, local he's a member of a local service group, uh, who was volunteering and had come upon a situation down at the border where there were children living in. Uh, basically dumps, garbage dumps down in Mexico, which isn't far from here. Um, and, of course, you can find situations like that stateside as well, uh, within the United States, as that is. Um, Cochise County Reentry Project. I mean, this is something, prison reentry and correctional system reform is something that I'm considering um, as I consider thesis proposals uh, for graduate school. Coaches County Reentry Program. This is not a. This is something from more recent. This is something that I promised you, the listener. Uh, you know, only a couple, a few months ago, not last year. Um. Uh, so hoping to still to hear from them, and I do hear from them from time to time, saying that they're they're working on it and they're busy, and I'm sure they are. I've met these people. Likewise, local to Global Justice, a group up of uh, of ac- ac- Activists up in uh, at ASU up in, in the Greater Phoenix metropolitan area, and and I've met these people and they're evidently operating in good faith, but they're busy. So and I wanted to follow up with you, the listener, because I said I would bring these people on. Certainly want to deal with these issues. Now the one that's a year old from Clear the Bench, Arizona. This woman, my contact with her has left the state. Has left the state of Arizona, and I haven't seen or talked to her since around the new year. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm going to go ahead and just, she had given me the organization had concocted a press release, you know, it is words written on a piece of paper given to me, therefore secondhand information, technically, and forensically speaking, it would be described as hearsay, but these sources, um, standing on their own merit, you know, they, 
That's how you determine the relevancy of hearsay when you're trying to investigate something uh, or research something. So a couple of pages, and uh, there's some strong, really strong allegations here. I mean, allegations of felony crimes on the part of public officials. So uh, Clear the Bench Arizona LLC, I believe, is no longer intact. They were based up in, uh, it was clearthebench-az.com. I need to check that site again. Last time I checked it, it was down. I understand that it might morph into something called Clear the Bench America. This doesn't sound all that different from the National Liberty Alliance. Well, philosophically, you know, kind of politically, it doesn't sound like uh, they, it seems to me they may have a lot in common with uh, the uh, the grand jury, or common law grand jury campaign. That is to say, because their goals are essentially to keep the judiciary honest, legal, and in conformance with the will of the people of the United States, and constitutional, and that is to prevent the courts from violating the Constitution. If you've got everybody's job, the police officer, the monkey next door, the guy mowing his yard, the business owner, private business owner, everyone really has an interest in the Constitution remaining intact, and the Constitution has the fundamental rule of law remaining intact. The problem is, is that there's higher costs to pay and then certain people not holding up their end of the bargain as citizens that like if you're a judge if you're a constituent if you know if you're a, if you're part of the judiciary and you don't uphold the constitution well that's even bigger problem that's why all of those um those positions of of uh, uh, of such of such a, said to be of such importance that when they're sworn in they explicitly say I was swear to Uphold the law. The Constitution is, you know. So, because if, if they fail, then it's a real problem. Real problem. Because that's the ultimate, that's the enforcement mode, okay, of, of, of our modern government here in the state. So, this was written last fall, or late last summer even. Clear the bench, Arizona. <clears throat> See what you think. Um, clear the bench Arizona is seeking to make a difference and expose the issues and concerns involving the judicial and state bar systems. The mission statement is toward the end that the Arizona judiciary remains impartial, apolitical, and able to dispense justice. We are organized to hold all judges, courts, commissioners, court officers, and personnel accountable to the people and constitutions of Arizona and the United States. On October 1st, 2014, last year, the organization will begin publishing information on judges that are up for retention and setting its first meeting of the Arizona Judicial Advisory Board, an independent group of people who will take in complaints from the public, investigate and make recommendations to the legislature for possible impeachment. Clear the Bench will also provide information regularly on its website so voters can have another source to determine the retention of judges until the election of judges can be reinstated in all counties in Arizona. The existing commission has repeatedly ignored valid complaints on judges. Now, I'll break in here real quick. Last I heard, there was legal infighting in this organization. So I suspect that the political will that's reflected in these words is still out there, and you can probably still find those people, um, just maybe not through the exact same URL as they had advertised at the date of this press release. Now, back to it. In addition to addressing the current corruption in the system by a small but powerful group of individuals, Clear the Bench has two main goals it believes are necessary to achieve future justice in the system. 
the election of judges in all jurisdictions, and the abolishment of the nonprofit state bar of Arizona. All right, Clear the Bench Arizona is a growing organization that unites people from all over Arizona and from all walks of life in political positions and educational levels. I'll break in here again. I There was an election. I was trying to get this thing sorted out and over in the air when I was dealing with these people before the election occurred. When that didn't happen, I was somewhat disheartened and tabled the thing. I'll go back to it, as it were. Clear the Bench Arizona is a growing organization that unites people from all over Arizona and from all walks of life, political positions, and educational levels. Most of these people involved have been victims of the system and want accountability. What members have found is that there is a small group of people controlling the legal system and profiting from their actions. The names of these people and the information are already in the hands of those at the state and national level, and we're continuing to provide information as it comes in. Additional information about the statements below can be found on the website or obtained through documents we can provide. Attorneys in Arizona are afraid to represent victims due to the corruption of the Arizona State Bar and with select judges, and they have gone so far to disbar, as to disbar attorneys who have tried to come to the client's aid after they were victimized. The message has been clear. Cross us and we will destroy you. Clear the bench Arizona is fighting back. Now, the Arizona Supreme Court is attempting to deflect scrutiny by creating the move-along-nothing-to-see-here commissions, officers or, offices or committees, including the Independent Bar Council office. The Independent Bar Council, uh, three words in quotes there, has already been ignored in order to execute a politically motivated attack on an attorney who represented parties against former State Bar President Edward Novak, a person that appear, appears regularly throughout State Bar and court communities, excuse me, court committees, including the recent appointment as chair of the committee that decides who gets admitted to practice law in Arizona. Ed Novak represented Arthur Anderson in the Baptist Foundation litigation. After getting wind of numerous efforts in the works to disband the State Bar of Arizona, a task force was studied, excuse me, was formed to study the structure, but as usual, the same players are placed uh, on the group, such as Novak, likely guaranteeing their interests will continue to be protected. Here's another name. Woman I've never met. Uh, uh, this is attributed to the Clear the Bench Arizona press release. Betsy Bayless, who led the criminal defense fund for Donald Stapley Jr. while he was a sitting supervisor, uh, presumably a county supervisor, presumably up in Maricopa County, and she was being paid to head the Maricopa County Integrated Health System, and Grant Woods, attorney for Conley Wolfswinkle, are also part of that task force, as are John Phelps, and Justice Rebecca Birch, who brought in out-of-state attorneys uh, to pursue the former Maricopa County attorney. It would be Prohot Vice. Is that the, the terminology, the Latin for that? Um, I wrote an article about Miss Birch. Somebody, somebody really had the book thrown at them a couple of years ago when I was working up in Phoenix. Uh, back to the press release. The Attorney Regulation Advisory Committee has the very person who quote-unquote decides attorney discipline, Judge William O'Neill, as its vice chair. William O'Neill has been involved in numerous questionable dealings himself, as detailed in the Arizona Republic, and refused to remove himself from the disciplinary proceedings against the former Maricopa County attorney and his assailants, including filing false or misleading pleadings about his involvement in related investigations. He is disbarred or has suspended numerous attorneys, including targeting attorneys based on his religious beliefs, except as... Spared a few represented by insiders, including Novak, putting his friends on panels without disclosing their relationships or their relationship with him. 
Uh, other information of note that Clear the Bench is actively pursuing, it says here, at all levels includes. Now, here is a laundry list, people. <clears throat> all right, take it for what it's worth. From the Clear the Bench Arizona uh, press release dated, oh, let's see, August 25th, 2014. And notwithstanding all of the preamble that I gave you earlier. Uh, other information of note that Clear the Bench is actively pursuing at all levels includes. A judge, Sally Duncan, up for retention in November of last year, uh, magically appeared to take over for another judge on the civil case filed by Lisa Abuchon, Abuchon, A-U-B-O-C-H-O-N, and David Hendershot, despite Duncan having lunch and talking about the case with former Judge Gary Donahoe, who, and I'll break in here, people can assemble as they see fit, if they are judges even, if they are criminals and judges even, and if they aren't, of course. Back to it. Um, despite Duncan having lunch and talking about the case with former Judge Gary Donahoe, who Abouchon and Hendershot investigated and attempted to prosecute, Duncan remained on the case and threw out every claim, finding them all frivolous and awarding $185,000 American dollars to Novak and um, his Polsinelli firm, despite the claims being viable and the black letter law that does not allow attorneys to collect fees for themselves. Uh, she, Reportedly, she was also randomly, quote unquote, randomly appointed to hear a recent case involving Abouchon, some company, evidently. Uh, here's another bullet item. Former Judge Gary Donahoe was everywhere he isn't supposed to be. Exclamation point. It says, Gary Donahoe, who had criminal charges against him, stayed by Judge O'Neill. The then trial nut judge on his case magically appeared on a probate case, finding the attorney for one of the parties in contempt of court. That attorney represented a party, Bill Lund, who used to be business partners with Conley Wolfswinkle, but had a falling out. Donahoe was the same judge that picked up cases not assigned to him and ruled in Wolfswinkle's favor, as well as stopped the investigation into Novak and others involved in the $350 million criminal court tower. Uh, judge Donahoe, here's another item. Judge Donahoe said, arrested one of Lund's attorneys for refusing to disclose attorney client privilege information. Now, I haven't read this in a long time, so I've forgotten some of it. It reads like a soap opera, frankly. Um, Judge Donahoe, here's another bullet list, a bullet item in the laundry list. Judge Donahoe had ex-part communications, ex-party communications, rather, with court-appointed experts, but failed to disclose it to the Lund's attorneys. And Judge Donahoe and Judge Myers have conspired to keep Brad Lund, a quote-unquote, ward of the state for almost five years, knowing that he has been found by two court-appointed uh, doctors to be competent in order to allow Criciolo and Murphy to take financial advantage of Bill Lund's daughter, who has brain damage. Um, that also, to me, sounds that's quite dramatic. Another item on the list, Judge Donahoe is friends with Criciolo, Wolfswinkle, and Stapley. Also, not a crime to be friends with people. I didn't write this press release. Just trying to give you some context. Context here. Uh, another item. Uh, some of these things could be high crime. Some of these could be not. But uh, anyway, another item. Commissioner Lindsay Ellis. All right, all right. Oversaw the decimation of several probate estates that allowed a turn. Now, right there, I'll stop. There's in journalism school. They teach you to follow the money. Well, probate estates. Do you know what that is? That's money. Now, here we all here now. Are we at the center of the universe? So. It's a, a political moccasin ball, a probate estate, right? So just 
right there. So, I mean, I, you know, it's hard not to, you have to consider that, that there's a bias here. Anyway, just I'll read what I'm reading. It's a press release. Get used to it for the time being for this particular item on the show. Commissioner Lindsay Ellis oversaw the decimation all right, of several probate estates that allowed attorneys to drain money from the wards and funneled the money away from the vulnerable adults and relatives. A superior court judge has ruled she acted unethically, but there's no evidence she was biased. Legal research confirmed the former commissioner, Lindsay Ellis, committed fraud in the court, quote-unquote, fraud in the court. All right, here's another item. Christopher Perry is no longer a lawyer, just plays one in the judicial system. All right. And they're talking about Perry, an attorney that assisted in Judge O'Neill's mother-in-law's short sale that resulted on, is that kind of like in Seinfeld, stop short? Forgive me. Borrowing someone else's bad joke. Perry, an attorney that assisted in Judge O'Neill's mother's mother-in-law's short sale that resulted on O'Neill getting the property was allowed to practice law while in prison for killing a person while Perry was drunk. After the retroactive disbarment order, Perry's practicing law at Shapiro, Van Ness, Sherman, and Martin LLP as O'Neill in the Arizona State Bar Turn a Blind Eye. He continues to be listed as an active attorney. The website contains up-to-date information about their activities. All right. Next item here. Friends of D.A.R.E. Uh, D-A-R-E is a drug education uh, protocol that's uh, funded. It's been around since I was in public school, so several decades. Uh, it came out this big kind of a. It got its funding from the the Reagan era uh, uh, heightening of the war on drugs. Anyway, drug abuse rehab education or something or other. Um, f- drug abuse resource education. Friends of Dare were was formed while. William O'Neill was employed with the Penal County Court as a judicial officer. The information is oddly missing from the online Arizona Corporation Commission website on the Arizona Corporation Commission. It's a whole other kettle of fish. I, I would interject. Um, the information is oddly missing from the online Arizona Corporation Commission website, and the articles of incorporation were inadvertently destroyed, according to the Corporation Commission, the ACC, as you might hear it referred to in colloquy. Despite the entity dissolving illegally in 1991, it continues to operate as of recently and has received funds from the court and county attorney related to RICO seizures. RICO, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organizations, uh, federal laws, and there are state RICO laws as well. Um, the output of the company went primarily to four Casagrande police officers, including John Ellsworth, who's running for justice of the peace, and O'Neill does not list the entity on his resume. It is one of many companies that have uh, money flowing through them with possible illegal money laundering. I say this regarding ACC and we back up the minute, the Arizona Corporation Commission. The Arizona Corporation Commission is where, for example, uh, the pri- privately held utilities or even the cooperative utilities who turn profits um, on basically coal and uh, non-renewable resource-fed utility grids. That's where they go and pitch their business models and that's where they get their uh, seal of approval in Arizona to operate. Uh, and so it ends up being a, this big, eco- just like you hear, you know, big economical argument. Hey, it's this way. Jobs, jobs. They took our job. You know, we're going to do it. This is how it can be profitable. This is what the bottom dollar looks like. And um, of course, it 
flies in the face of progressive uh, uh, engineering and research and development and keeping up with uh, time and the world as it spins with us on it regarding uh, renewable energy and uh, um, uh, and sustaining the world to be a better place for our children. So if you want, if you've got some horrible, 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 god awful, hell bound, you know, boondoggle hoodwink that you want to pull over on people and say this is because this is it's good for the economy in Arizona, you know, and it's a business pitch, or you take it to the ACC and there um there are your you know, your um your your capitalist classists are in, are sitting up there and you can try to get them to sign off on it. Um, and I don't even want to, you know, just talk about the batting average you can expect if you do that. Um, certainly it's good enough that that's where people like that go to get such approvals. More on the bullet list here. Okay, Mark Salem, some person I don't know, never met. According to this, uh, nevertheless, according to this press release from Clear the Bench, Arizona, uh, from last summer, Mark Salem appearing on numerous attorney disciplinary panels with William O'Neill, again, uh, and numerous committees, including the Probate Oversight Committee, put together and maintained a website uh, defaming the person who'd criticized William O'Neill publicly. Well, that may be unethical and it may be in poor form, not necessarily, you know, uh, if the defamatory information is true, I have to tell you as a journalist, then that's defensible. Uh, Judge O'Neill is the fox guarding the hen house. It's a bit of a hyperbolic statement. I might have to re-record this edition of the show. I don't know. Uh, Judge O'Neill, I'm just telling you what this says. Judge O'Neill and Robert, because you haven't seen it, I don't think. Judge O'Neill and Robert Gallo, his next door neighbor and friend, uh, sit on at least five panels that disbarred or suspended attorneys, and O'Neill never disclosed their relationship. O'Neill's son was recently appointed as a judge in Casa Grande, despite not even practicing for five years. Practicing law, I suspect what is meant there. Judge O'Neill stopped a state bar investigation into the ethical violations of Dan Cracciolo and Brian Murphy to keep the truth from coming out, and he has allowed them to continue their interstate conspiracy, fraud, and theft against the Lund family. Uh, this complaint also includes the Lund's attorney-client file at uh, JSS being wrongfully given to Cracciolo and Murphy and their actions being condoned by Judge Robert D. Myers, who's a friend of Cracciolo. Um... <laughs> Judge Robert D. Myers refused to allow a daughter to visit her mother when the mother had appointed her daughter to be her conservator and guardian if she ever needed one. Myers made sure that the daughter had no access to her mother in order to cover up the negligence of the probate court. The mother almost died at the hands of the caregivers at the nursing home, but the probate court did nothing. Uh, families are being separated and financially ruined. Directives, trusts, and wills are not being followed by the probate court, and estates are being pillaged by the attorneys and judges. Uh, the family of the ward believes judges slash commissioners Edward Bassett, Dean Fink, Stephen Kupisewski failed to require pre-approval of expenditures from the trust and estate of some woman named Eleanor R. Ball. By rubber stamping the inventory of expenditures, failure to require an estate plan, and failure to hold an evidentiary hearing on ten specific issues raised from a forensic audit that has never had an opportunity to make it to court. They believe these violations started in 2004, leading to the death of the ward in 2006. Uh, the Arizona Republic covered the story. Uh, another bullet here. Point juvenile court concerns about regarding rights abound, rather, regarding rights of families and secrecy in proceedings when taking children. 
Uh, there are many victims of, Arizona, of the Arizona courts. It says transparency and accountability for the judges who make life decisions for the citizens of Arizona is more important than the accountability of the citizens. They hold themselves on a higher level than the citizens, and they must set the example of honesty. And that's 30. That's the end of that press release. Quickly. Regarding uh, Child Protective Services, this isn't, uh, I'm like, I've got, well, I'm walking around with three copies of The Nation because I got behind on my reading of my subscription. And I have given them American dollars um, in order to support them, it, um, and its journalism. I, uh, and, and so I can't say exactly. It might be this week's, last week's, or the week before. But anyway, in one of those, there's a piece about um, uh, Child Protective Services getting kind of way out of hand uh, and turned around. And, and it's, um, I mean, I'm a parent, you know. Um, you know, and so, you know, I've, I've got the water boiling, as it were. I'm kind of knowledgeable about the, you know, a lot of the listeners maybe aren't. Maybe you have kids already grown. Maybe you don't have any kids. Um, but I've, you know, I kind of, as a, as a parent with a kid still young enough to be living at home, I, you know, kind of set the measure of what's out of hand and what ain't regarding the state's intervention uh, and, and parents rearing their children. There does appear to be, I mean, I suspect that there are, like, CPS bounties. I suspect that when the, uh, you know, like, just kind of like, I mean, we're a, we're a democratic government. I mean, which means that we are the, we are the agencies. And so when, I mean, it's impossible not, to, you know, so it's impossible, you know, like, as I mentioned, that personally, it's impossible for the judge not to know the attorneys. You know, a lot of the times that, and they, a lot of the times they've known each other for years and years and went to school together. I mean, the world's smaller than it is when you start getting educated and getting degrees. I mean, they, you know, they're, you're fewer than the proletariat, as it were. Um, at the same time, you know, so you're going to, you know, you're going to accidentally assemble. Let's say all three county supervisors bump into each other at the grocery store. Well, what's that? Can they, they have to watch what they talk about, right? Or else they're going to need staff to take minutes. And they're going to have needed to have, uh, or they're going to have to hang around long enough that they can go ahead and call out and say, hey, we're accidentally all here. We're going to have to announce this as a public meeting. Anyway, you get the point. Also, because, you know, that uh, you know, it, it's supposed to be, you know, the guy next door, you know, is, well, I happen to, he's has expertise in the following things. Therefore, you know, you know, he's, he's, he's put upon when there is a need for a, a public agency uh, or uh, to, to conduct certain business on behalf of the people. Um, so just like it's impossible for the judges and the attorneys not to know each other and become friends or enemies, and who knows? And I have to say that all sounds like a big soap opera to me, and some of it's probably petty, and some of it might be high crimes. <clears throat> I didn't see any of it happen. I read it in a press release, and you just heard it in a press release. But anyway, these other agencies, like Child Protect, DEA, whatever, they, you know, I mean, it's, you know, they're, it's impossible for, you have to be careful. That's why you have to, that's why, you know, you have to be really, you have to have, literally, not just figure of speech, it's not a joke, you have to have the ethical high ground, moral high ground to be like a judge or to be in a position of administrative authority when you are going to break up families. <clears throat> so what if there's nobody who has the moral high ground? What if the moral high ground in a given jurisdiction is very low? The bar is very low. Well, then you end up, you know, people basically taking it. They, you know, we don't like you because you're black or gay or stupid or, we, we, you know, we, we, you know, 
Well, then that, you know, that's that's the dark face of democracy, and that's where the Constitution is going to come in. And, um, you know, well, we can't behave that way. That's unconstitutional. We can't treat these people that way, even though they're a minority in the community. Well, if there's a vacuum in morality among the, you know, the public agency, well, then no one cares if you're violating the Constitution. So some people are so stupid that they don't know. They'll go ahead and violate the Constitution, not understanding that they're shooting their own selves in the foot. Um, so, so that, 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 you know, the kind of the, the complaining about the, what go, I mean, it, I, it could happen, I'm sure, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, um, it, you, you know, I don't know, it probably goes back to education, you guys, and the importance of understanding the fundamental law of the land. But just like in the judiciary, it can also happen in the, in the executive branches. And the, you know, agencies such as, well, I don't know, the DPS, the DES, the CPS. Um, all very interesting. I don't know what you think about that. Um, and I, I suppose now I owe you a show. I'll go back and see if I can chase down what happened to those people. Who of them are, have been convicted? Who of them have been acquitted? Who of them have end up, ha- you know, are still in office? Um, you know, and uh, any of that stuff turns out to have, in retrospect, be uh, erroneous information. Um, Also regarding the judiciary, as I've read on my September 2nd show last month, nearly two months ago now, two shows ago, um, I read you the letter, the open letter to Judge J.A. Soto, who's uh, uh, appointed uh, by presidentially appointed, Barack Obama appointed him, um, district court judge. At, at the Tucson venue, the Deacon Sanini courthouse up there. Uh, after he aff- affirmed motions to dismiss from the Department of Justice and from the Assistant United States Attorney of the complaint that I filed against the individual woman who administratively put into action an armed collection of taxes from me and a punitive interest rate. Uh, and citing, affirming their arguments of official capacity. So it's an unconstitutional act. I am reminded of, uh, and that's, that's tenuous, that's, has to do with the judiciary, so I bring it up in passing as I move on through my run sheet here. Uh, I'm reminded it's so of some license plate that occur. Uh, certain states have certain sayings in their license plate. Live free or die is one of them. Who is that? What state? Can we, you know, it's a quick quiz. Also, no taxation without representation. That's another one of them. So all of the people in that state where no taxation without representation is all over the license plates, do you, they perhaps organized as a class, which is what I was trying to do. I was trying to get the court to recognize this constitutional breach, and it didn't. So a judge from, what's that port down there? Below Nogales on, on the Gulf of California, I raised Judge Soto from Nogales. Um, anyway, um, so there's not supposed to be any taxation with representation according to the Constitution that uh, the 16th Amendment ignores. Um, it's illegal. And uh, to live free or die would be to, you know, uh, live without uh, being harangued for uh, the uh, products of your labor. 
from a, a working class perspective, if you will, or without your uh, exec incumbent executive incumbency and therefore your autonomy as a citizen, as you might view it from the perspective of capital. In my position, I'm a self-employed journalist and an author and single dad and like, you know, basically food stamp recipient and, uh, you know, uh, community faith-based volunteer and pro bono, you know, end up in doing the work of the state. For example, as a journalist, when I sit here and point out these things, that law is this way, and these things aren't happening, and I'm reporting that to the people. Well, that's a function of the state it can be. You know, journalism has an important role to play um, in America historically and in other places, everywhere, really. In that sense, I'm working for the state, if, if you will, in the sense that I'm working for you. So to live free or die... You know, a lot of people, evidently there's enough people who have organized and have enough people who got it on the license plates down there. I think that's on, oh, I, I, that's the next, you know, who, what state, I'll look it up in a minute. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention before the show. So would you rather be not free or uh, uh, alive or dead? And forgive me for not having, I just looked it up. It's New Hampshire. That's um, state plates that. That, that bear the the uh, the phrase "no taxation without." I'm sorry, live free or die. And it's um, uh, the District of Columbia plates that say "no taxation without representation." So research that. Um, it's an interesting thing. So I don't know what our state our state does. I don't believe it says anything. I was in Texas. I had a picture of this space shuttle and a cowboy. Uh, things here they have a picture of the Grand Canyon out here in Arizona. Um, so regarding money, then and taxation and the like. Um, now is a good time. I have uh, this a call for copy. All right, I'm functioning as a small publish. Uh, Brazewell Communications uh, in 2015 and published three titles that I wrote. Two pen named fiction novellas and one uh, nonfiction journalistic book. It's an anthology. And then um, in the printing process of a fourth publishing project that's a third party. It's uh, called Imagine. Anthology of Poetry from. Sky Island Unitarian Universalist, uh, local church, friends and members. Um, interesting there. Previously, all my books were for sale in paperback and then downloadable for free on academia.edu, which is where you know I am sometimes as I work on fleshing out a thesis for a graduate school uh, application thesis proposal for faculty uh, now that I have had my people at the printer I have paid them to do this to integrate um, well it could be done you could do it yourself but to make the digital versions of these books available at Amazon um, the fine print and the contract that Amazon's attorneys Representing Amazon wrote, preclude 
any of those titles availability for digital download or otherwise available digitally anywhere else, period, free or not. And any other format either, digital format. So I had to pull those. Uh, I, well, I, I elected to pull those so I could try to make, you know, a collegiate effort at, uh, at the, you know, at putting these for sale in the secular market for American dollars. Now, earlier this afternoon, I read a piece, uh, a paper, and the title of it's called, If It's Not Online and Free, It's Not Published, by Scott Fitzgerald Johnson, who's an assistant professor of classics and letters at the University of Oklahoma. Oh, you. Um, big football school down there. Uh, so, yeah, the new economy is something when to consider. Uh, that's why I had this stuff available for free. I don't expect to get rich or even make a living off these titles. It'll be something interesting for my estate to manage my children. It's intellectual property. It could be arguably comparable to patents in the sense that it's it's the survivability of intellectual property. Um, the implications there, like you can do all kinds of shift work and your family estate doesn't really have a claim to you know the wages after the individual earns them. But when you have intellectual property, it's a different argument. So kind of the nonlinear... Applications of the online community um, are one interesting philosophical argument, but uh, by the other hand, I mean, particularly the nonfiction, I like to get that stuff out. And there, you know, I've taken to task telecom, I've taken to task the IRS. Notwithstanding that I can think of a million good reasons for certain applications of the federal executive uh, agency that is the IRS, but however, the uh, across the board uh, unrepresentational income tax, I do in my view, is unconstitutional, because it certainly is. I mean, to the letter, I've gone off on a tangent again. Uh, but anyway, in that nonfiction book, there's a lot of stuff that's legalistically blind. A contemporary argument is journalism, is work. I mean, it belongs up on my... Was the, I put it up on the academia.edu account of mine first, because it's, it's the culmination of what I've done academically in the past, like, 24 to 36 months. Um, and it's also a watermark in my career, for example. And I'm, you know, more important now, you know, so so if, uh, more important now is that it gets out. Now, I added the fiction later just because the only person who's going to look up there and read it are people who actually, <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's going to be other, you know, it's going to be people who are, it's going to be an academic look at the fiction. So I went ahead and put it there. I pulled it all down now. Um, so I read this guy's paper. Uh, if it's not online and free, it's not published. He makes some excellent points. He, Like I said, he's on the classics and letters faculty. He's talking about certain things that are available only in the Western academic uh, librarian, uh, you know, through libraries. Uh, you know, and, but and the, the curation involved reintroducing those old you know stuff that's there but it originated out in the in the in the east you know, reintroducing those where they're available there not just available to students over here on in the, in North America in the new west anyway it made a good point um and philosophically can also uh, you know argue like uh, 
the dollar is a bullish experimental currency. So um, it seems to fly in the face of the front end of the deal, the philosophy that you should see, like, you know, hey, here are the wares, look at it. Anyway, as a small publisher, it's very interesting. I hate to put it all behind a paywall that no one's going to jump. But I feel compelled to do it for experimental purposes, and at least I've already let all that stuff sit up there for free for a long time. And if you need it, I'll, if you're sweet, you come visit me. You know, I'm a journalist, I'm a writer, it's a lonely task, and it's years and years. I'd probably be talked out of a copy. You know? Um, so for now, and this is also a call for copy as a small publisher, I'm happy to collaborate with you to publish your work. If absolutely necessary, I'm happy to do it at cost. Because at the end of the day, again, the publishing company, kind of like the books, is work. It's what I do. And I'd rather have the work than not have it. And I don't want it to be cost prohibitive. Now, we have to pay the printer, you and me, right? <laughs> um, if you can't afford, um, a, you know, to <clears throat> pay anything but cost. But um, with all that being said, you know, if you've got a book, I'm happy to work with you. I'm about done with this third-party uh, project, this poetry anthology. There's a chance that I, I'm looking at a manuscript for of a guy who's sitting on death row right now at, at ADC. Uh, that may be the next project, you know, that will go. And I think I'll probably foot the bill for all of that, frankly. I would if I have to. Uh, but I, with all of this footing of the bills, I do now understand why when I was working, for, you know, and I got it then. And I was in college, I was at the school newspaper. And then when I got out of college, I was working at a daily newspaper. I did that for four years. And I understand why everyone's always hamming and hawing about why um, marketing revenues are so important on publications like this. Now, <clears throat> big publishers, journals, you know, I've, I've worked for big publishers as well. Uh, but marketing revenues were big even then, even when I was working for publishers of peer-reviewed content. Um, and if, uh, so I also am happy to... Carry your marketing content. And I, you, if you listen to the show, you hear me ad carrying my uh, uh, peers' content. People with whom I agree philosophically or politically, I'll carry their content. So if you'd like to advertise with Breslau Communications or on the Odelay Show, this program, or if you, want a, if you want a small publisher, I'm here and available and willing to work with you. And we'll do it. And we'll get it done. Okay. Um. Uh, so you can add, and if you want to, if you're able to cough up, you want to set up an ad cycle. If you if you have an advertising budget, great. If you have a publishing budget, great. If you don't, let's talk. And if you don't, if you don't have such a budget, and I still want to, you know, I want to make the service available to you, in the marketplace, and it's negotiable. We have time. Um. What else today? Oh, I have a letter. I have a letter from... Hope you like this. Here, what did I do with it? Uh, this is a letter from... We had a tenant last... We live down here in the, in the desert. So there's a phenomenon called snowbirds. And people, like, blow down here and stay when the weather's one way. And then they cruise back to their northerly latitudes... Um, come summer. And so I got a letter from our, our tenant last, who was here last year. It was a man, 
answer to we have a, a room built on to the edge of uh, to the uh, the north end of our home. Living a double wide, fixed to the ground though on an acre, and I I own it. I bought it. It was a foreclosure within the state. Going to fall from my father last year. We're broke and we the money's gone, but we have this home to show for it, which is good because I'm self-employed. But anyway, so this guy answered a uh, a call in the uh, from the newspaper, an ad that I was looking for a tenant to generate some revenue for the house. So here it is, and he's got some ideas about another that you might find interesting or you might take advantage of. If some of the listeners might be interested. I don't know this, dear Chris. This has been delayed by this is dated nine twenty nine fifteen. I got this at the end of last month, end of September. Dear Chris, this has been delayed by my indecision buying a printer, which by I could send a proper letter, pretend that you got this in June. Anyway, what I want you to know is that my stay with you was one of the few meaningful experiences of recent years. You provided a template to make my life better. I wish it had come earlier in life. Well, uh, he, uh, 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 this guy's 94. Um... I cannot but envy your ability to focus and live by principle and plan. Uh, a lot of would-be writers would benefit by your example. If you had the inclination that extra room could be for would-be writers to experience the mountainside right away, observe and be coached by a working writer in two-week stints, and they could escape winter by being in Arizona. Anyway, that's his plan. You know, bring it on. We were, uh, uh, you know, rent negotiable. Um, and he goes on. Let's see what else is. Thank you. For the, hope you got got the photos. Yada yada. A little bit about my fiction book. All right. Every embedded alive. I'm impressed most by the vast scope of your interests and your ability to articulate them in terms that cause the reader to pause and consider. It is obvious that you have an ample subconscious reservoir. So I was really, I was really. It warmed my heart for him to say what he said. Uh, and it seems that he got a lot out of living here with, with my family. Uh, we appreciated him. He's just uh, you know someone else around. Um, but his words are uh, well-received, and it was a very, uh, very heartwarming to get that from him. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah. I guess if he uh, – maybe I could get him to write up a – you know. He says, and have somebody sit back there, live there, and watch you sit there and work as a as an actual working writer. And he seemed to have gained a lot from it. Maybe not everybody, but he seems to think it would work for at least a certain group of people, certain demographic. Uh, um, so I suppose today's show, brought to you by um, Embedded Alive, uh, Braswell Communications' uh, first nonfiction book project, Embedded Alive, First Person Journalism in the United States of America, by yours truly, uh, also recently made available uh, 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 at, on the marketplace at Amazon uh, in the, uh, at the Kindle store, available in the Kindle library and Kindle exchange, um, uh, or you can pay, go through PayPal on the Braswell Communications Publishing Division uh, website and buy the hard copy there and I'll mail it to you and that bill comes right to my house. It's uh, fusepowder.com F-U-S-E P-O-W-D-E-R dot com Also, the same goes for Pizza Noir Book 1 
excuse me, Catch as Catch Can um, by Denver Day. Um, uh, shady Private Eye Detective. Um, also, likewise, um, get the hard copy through PayPal or the digital copy through Amazon of Pizza Noir Book 2, Alpha Taxonomy by Denver Day. Um, likewise, you can pick up that poetry anthology previously mentioned, uh, book three, uh, Pizza Noir by Denver Day, uh, Pie in the Sky is, um, nearly done editing. I need to do the cover and see what I'm going to do about art. Um, that'll be available. I don't have any, I've got, uh, book two is sitting at the printer basically ready to ship and I have to wait. I can't afford to pay them to ship it. Um, the hard copies. Um, so whether book three, how fast it comes out will be determined by what the books look like in the coming month or two here before Christmas. Uh, and then there is another uh, deviation from the uh, Pizza Noir series, although still under the same uh, uh, pen name, Nom de Plume, of our... Uh, Braswell Communications, uh, most prized fiction client, uh, the Washington State based Denver Day. Um, oh, let's see. And then, as I have previously mentioned, um, interested in your publishing projects, we can talk about what it's going to cost. If we have to do it at cost, then we have to do it at cost. Um, and we, uh, and as I previously mentioned, hopefully we will have a nice one of those things that. I've mentioned on the show, hopefully this group's coming, hopefully that group's coming. So hopefully the aforementioned nonfiction project um, is coming uh, with our friend who um, whose manuscript I have in hand, um, uh, Mr. Barrett. So um, also this edition of The Other Show brought to you by, uh, last but not least, all who... Uh, ever ends up helping me fund graduate school, which is which is coming. I had someone tell me um, that uh, that I would make a good attorney, and that I should endeavor that. Uh, I took the LSAT nearly ten years ago, and then gave up because I had a son come. The stork came and brought me a son, and I kind of dropped that uh, pursuit. I hadn't had it mentioned my inclination was to go out of the country and go do uh, graduate work in a foreign city in order to justify the expense and the effort uh, by way of the increased academic rigor of doing it in a while immersed in a different culture, a different language. Uh, uh, I suppose the Juris Doctora, uh, the Juris Doctor option would be more appropriate if I were going to be needing to stay stateside. I stay in the United States to go to school. Um, but I, I I would think that to keep moving and, you know, with wider eyes and further afield would seem like to be the no-brainer if we're able. Uh, but it's I'm going to either have to incur debt or figure out something um, uh, to fund it. Looking to get the earliest possible date for doing that would be the deadlines for the first time of 2017 are in June of 2016. Usually, for where I, you know, when I'm looking at uh, faculties and when their deadlines are, uh, thinking of an ethical 
inquiry, which would be under the purview of the philosophy faculty, <coughs> it, 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 the yet-to-be-determined uh, uh, graduate department of philosophy, um, global uh, grocery logistics with respect to veganism and, and uh, what's in the way institutionally and organizationally. And you start reading about it, and it's kind of obvious. It's one of those challenges when you're in the humanities. What you know, what, what has, what's, you got to pick, well, this has been done, the information's there, we know this, what's in the way, you don't want to duplicate anybody's work, um, global uh, human trafficking is another one of interest, of course, if you've been listening to the show, you've heard me talk about that before, prison industrial complex reform, I have to say this, man, and this is very side-by-side uh, -side with the global vegan abolitionist movement and various other sister movements or competing movements, if you will. Uh, the petroleum military industrial complex is, uh, as it is sometimes characterized, is uh, also compelling. But it's one of those things where um, that's why I've chosen to do this, at least for now, in the philosophy department rather than the sociology or the anthropology department because it's more or less thought that's what's left, thinking it out and sorting it out. Now, I mentioned earlier law. Well, the academic track rather than the attorney's track, the JD. So a doctor of law might be something I'd be interested in, but I don't know. And it all seems funny to get a degree in politics, you know, when that's what I'm doing now. I already have a degree and I'm already doing politics. It doesn't pay. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, but ethically, I have problems with, uh, with practicing um, in a cottage industry that, Based on, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, from Brazewell v. Younger, uh, the suit against uh, the unconstitutional grounds against the woman who collected income tax on me under a gun, voluntarily assessed, um, that that cottage industry, it's the consensus of the establishment, if you will, that the American establishment of the cottage industry that surrounds the income tax, federal income tax, stays in place. So I think I'd be complicit. Um, I think the best way to save or help is to is education and upholding the law and the judiciary, not going and dancing with the mob. That only makes them stronger. So I have problems with that. Um, evidently it is a too valuable as an angle, uh, uh, an ongoing fishing expedition to be uh, concerned about its un patent unconstitutionality. Um, that's, uh, I meant to say all that stuff before I mentioned no taxation without representation as represented by the license plates in the District of Columbia. And uh, before mention of, of course, New Hampshire's uh, license plate tagline, live free or die. Um, I'm not alone in this. Uh, anyway, that's the show for today. You may contact me by text or video conference or old-fashioned telephony style at 518-400-2729. The Odelay Show uh, with C.G. Brazewell on the 26th of October, 2015. Um, happy Halloween, y'all. <laughs>